0: was flying to speak at a church in Alabama. I land Saturday. I did not know who was picking me up from the airport. All I knew is they were driving a red Prius. They pull around, pick me up at baggage claim. I hop in the back and say, cool Prius, says nobody. And um, I lean up because in a Prius, you're like right there. I lean up and I said, so who are you guys? And Again, from Alabama, sharp kind of draw. He's like, I'm Rick, and this is my wife, Charlotte. And I was like, well, you know, tell me about yourself. And he's like, well, we worked our whole life so that we could retire. We just retired, and we wanna cruise the world. We wanna cruise the world. So I'm like, well, Rick, how many cruises have you been on? He's like, Todd, we went on our first cruise, and we went on our last cruise and I said, what do you mean? First cruise, last cruise. He's like, we just got back from our first cruise. First day of our first cruise, we're cruising the Panama Canal. I'm at the pool on the boat and I look up and there's a, there's a, there's a dead man floating in the pool. He jumped in, he said, Charlotte, there's a dead person in the pool. He, he said, I jumped in, I pulled the guy to the side. I started resuscitation, he'd been dead 20 minutes. His wife's on social media, didn't even notice. He said, Todd, first day of our first cruise, I look up at my wife by the pool and I said, Charlotte, is this what we gave our life for? People dying while I tan? He said, I'm 67 years old and I've lived for one thing my whole life, my savings. The world will invite you to live for a very small, self-absorbed, you-centered purpose. But God invites us into his global, eternal, and unfulfilled purpose. And the question is, which one are you gonna live for? The world invites you every day to a small, self-absorbed, you centered purpose. Revolve it around your kids, revolve it around your resume, revolve it around more commas in your savings. And yet God invites us to live for his greater purpose. God's purpose is greater because God's purpose is eternal. God's purpose is greater because God's purpose is unfulfilled. And God's purpose is greater because it has you involved. So let's look at God's eternal purpose. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, we come across an interesting passage. It says this. Then humanity says, Come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth so that we may make a name for ourselves. That's the world's purpose for you. Make a name for yourself. Make it about you, all about you. In Genesis 11, the world will woo you to itself. Make a name for yourself and look at the results of the world's purpose, judgment, judgment. The Lord scatters them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Genesis 11 invites you to live for your small, self-centered purpose. But if you flip the page, you see God's global, eternal, and unfulfilled purpose. If you turn to Genesis 12, the purpose of God is begun with a man named Abram. God says this to Abram. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing." All peoples on earth be blessed through you. What is the purpose of God? What does He invite you to? God, just like Abraham, He blesses Abraham, but it's not for Abraham. He gives Abraham affluence and influence, not for Abraham, but so that Abraham would turn that and be a catalyst to see the nations reached. Genesis 11 invites you to a self centered purpose, Genesis 12 is God's purpose. God wants to bless us, not for us, but to bless the nations. How does God bless us? If you're a Christ follower, he's forgiven you of your sins. You're put back into a right relationship with him. There's no condemnation. And now we take that purpose and that blessing and we give it to the nations. God wants to bless us, not for us. He wants to bless us so that all nations would know. Genesis 11, the world woos you there every day. The world wants you to pick your purpose. Genesis 12 is God's purpose. Which purpose are you gonna choose? I remember, literally, I remember we got new neighbors. I saw the U-Haul pull up, put two and two together, and thought, wow, I should meet them. Just as I walk across the street, I meet Larry, and I meet his wife, Gigi. And Larry's like, hey, will you help me unload the treadmill? And I was like, wow, that's bad timing. Told my wife, get out of here, help me. So... Um, We're unloading the treadmill, we get in the house and I just start talking to Larry, bring up the gospel right away. You guys going to church anywhere? You need a new church? You should come to our church. Church is great. You should go to church. And Larry was like, Todd, I am not interested in anything spiritual. Well, my office, I could see my office out of my house. My office looks at Larry's mailbox. So whenever Larry would come out to this mailbox, we'd have our mailbox moments And so that was my moment. Every time I'd see Larry, I'd be like, Larry, come to church with us. You know, do you read the Bible? Do you need one? And he's like, I'm not interested. And I'd be like, Larry, you're no spring chicken, okay? You need to figure this out. You're a heartbeat away from eternity. And he's like, no, Todd, I'm not interested. So one day I get, you know, they lived there for about eight months. I get a knock on the door and it's Gigi and she's crying. And, uh, I'm like, Gigi, what's going on? And she's like, Larry's been diagnosed with esophageal cancer and he's been given 15 months to live. I mean, anxiety can just, it envelopes me. I go across the street. He's sitting at the table reading a golf magazine and I just transition to the gospel and I try to give him hope for this incredibly difficult diagnosis. And, diagnosis. and I, I, he's like, Todd, I'm not interested. Go back home. And so I walked back across the street. Larry's mailbox moments got fewer and fewer until eventually I just didn't see him again. And then the fateful day, knock on the door, and it was Gigi. And Gigi said, Larry's got about two hours to live. So I grabbed my Bible. I go across the street. I go down the hallway. I take a left into their master bedroom. I see him laying in the bed wearing a diaper, spitting in a cup, weighs about 92 pounds. And I got down on one knee and I opened the Bible and I began to just share about eternity and how God wants to forgive him and offer, offer him a place. And I, I'm looking at Larry and all I see Larry do is this. Like every now and then I'm talking, but he'll look over my shoulder and I don't know what he's looking at. All I know is I'm looking at him and he's looking away over my shoulder. He's not even—he's turning his head. So finally, I'm like, what is going on? I turn around and I notice Larry's watching TV. And I, I go, Larry, you're gonna be judged by Jesus in an hour and a half and you're watching Storage Wars? And he says, just leave, Todd, just leave. I walk down the hallway, this time a little bit more aware. I see an amp, a guitar, a keyboard. They all have price tags on them. I go, go, Gigi, why are there price tags on everything? And she said, oh, Todd, before Larry dies, he wanted to itemize everything in the house so that when he dies, I can sell it for maximum value. And as I walked across the street, I just thought, wow, Larry itemized everything except for his own life. The world invites you to a very small, live for your resume, live for your kids, live for your safety, live for a comma. And God gives us this global, eternal, unfulfilled purpose. Paul the apostle who wrote 13 books of the New Testament and planted churches all across Asia and Europe. When he gets to some of his last writings, he tells us his purpose. And he goes all the way back to Genesis 12. He's like, let me tell you my purpose, and it is Genesis 12. He tells us this in Galatians chapter three. He says this. Paul says, he redeemed us, why? So that what began in Genesis 12 with the blessing of Abraham might make its way to all the nations. God blesses us, but it's not for us. The world wants you to live in Genesis 11. God invites you to Genesis 12. God's purpose is eternal. God's purpose ends with a guarantee the guarantee is that it will be fulfilled. Revelation 5-9 says this, Jesus, you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What God began in Genesis 12 is fulfilled in Revelation 5-9. The purpose of God is woven throughout scripture, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, David, the prophets, Jesus, us. But yet, how many Christ followers choose a very small, self absorbed, me centered purpose? God's purpose is eternal, God's purpose is unfulfilled. The world still waits. Where does the world wait? This area of the world is called the 1040 window. It's 10 degrees up from the equator and it's 40 degrees up and it stretches across the North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. In this box is 65 countries. But the most staggering statistic about this box is 86% of everyone born in this box will live and die and never meet a Christ follower. 86% will never meet a Christ follower. This is the most unreached area of the world. And everything I just said, Jesus summarizes in nine words. The harvest is plentiful. The worker's are few Everything I just said Jesus boils down to Luke 10:2 The harvest is plentiful but the workers are few I just want to ask four questions about this passage I wanna ask four questions. I wanna ask a who question, I wanna ask a why question. I wanna ask another who question, I wanna ask another why question. We're gonna go who, why, who, why. We're gonna ask who why, who, why. We're gonna look at Luke 10 two, and we're gonna ask four questions. Who, why, who, why. First question, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Who's the harvest? Who's the harvest? The harvest are the lost who are our near neighbors who have access to the gospel, but maybe have just not accepted it yet. They're in reached areas, even though they're not Christ's followers. The harvest is the lost in reached areas, but also across the ocean in the 1040 window, the unreached. Who's the harvest? The harvest is the lost in both the reached and the unreached areas. Second question, why, why? Who's the harvest? The harvest is the lost and the reached and the unreached. Why, why are they plentiful? Why is the harvest plentiful? Let me read you some stats. The average children per family in Switzerland is two. Switzerland is 75% Christian. The average children per family in Norway is two. Norway is 73% Christian. The average children per family in Sweden is two. Sweden is 60% Christian. The average children per family in the UK is two. UK is 53% Christian. The average children per family in the United States is two. The United States is 65% Christian. The average children per family in Niger is seven. Niger's 99% Muslim. The average children per family in Mali is six. Mali is 95% Muslim. The average children per family in Somalia is six. Somalia is 99% Muslim. The average children per family in Afghanistan is five. Afghanistan is 99% Muslim. The average children per family in Mauritania is five. Mauritania is 100% Muslim. The unreached grow at 70,000 a year. The unreached grow at 26 million. Think about that. 70,000 a day. The unreached grow at 70,000 a day and 26 million a year. The unreached grow at 70,000 a day and 26 million a year. That means there's more unreached today than yesterday. The unreached is great and it's growing. The harvest. Who's the harvest? the harvest are the lost, both in the reached areas and unreached. Why are they plentiful? Birth rate alone. Thanks to COVID, we just lost 70% of all our foreign missionaries. They're great and they're growing. Who, why, who, why? Who's a worker? Who's a worker? Who's a worker? A worker is a Christ follower living for God's eternal purpose. A worker is a Christ follower living for the Genesis 12 purpose of God. Who, why, who, why? Who's the harvest? The harvest or the un, the lost and the reached and the unreached. Why are they plentiful birth rate alone? Who's a worker? A Christ follower who's revolving their life around God's global cause and the saddest words of Jesus's ministry. How does he describe the workers? I mean... You might meet one, but probably not. You might meet a a worker in your life, but they are so few. You might run into one, but probably not. What's incredible is two out of every seven people breathing claim to be a Christian. The workers shouldn't be few, they should be plentiful. But instead, Jesus looks out and said, oh, the average Christians are living for the Genesis 11 purpose, their small, self-absorbed purpose. So how does Jesus describe the workers? They're few, they're few. And I just thought, why are they few? Why are they few? Who, why, who, why? Why are they few? And I have some ideas. I think they're few because Christ's followers are distracted We live for our savings and safety and resume and children and we just live to to better our bank account. We're distracted. We don't take risks. We're risk averse. I think the workers are few because we're distracted. I think the workers are few because we're uninformed. We just don't know. 95% of all Christ followers have never heard of the 1040 window. 95% they're just uninformed. We're, they're few because we're distracted. They're few because we're uninformed. They're few because the unreached are hard to reach. The unreached are in war zones. They're in tribes. They're in jungles. They're in deserts. They're in areas of the world that the government is anti Christian. The State Department has issued travel warnings on 23 of the 65 countries inside the 1040 window. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. I remember, I remember I got asked to speak at the largest Christian university in Canada. 5,000 students. They wanted me to speak at chapel on Tuesday morning, on Wednesday morning, and on Thursday morning. Beth Moore was concluding on Friday morning. I was like, we're gonna be Bethy's. This is gonna be so fun. I show up a day early, even though it's in the same time zone, just to get acclimated and uh, I remember I'm walking across campus for breakfast. I thought wedding day mentality, not too much, not too little, you know? And, and so I meet the campus minister for breakfast and I was like, this place is huge. And he's like, we are the largest. I'm like, no, I'm telling everybody. I'm like, how many people come? I mean, where does chapel even meet at? He's like, oh, chapel meets in the basketball arena. It's the only place that can house the whole student body. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, listen, numbers do not matter to me, but today they do. I said, how many am I gonna be speaking to? He's like, well, I thought I told you in the email, missions week is the only week we make chapel optional. So we're praying for 200. I'm like, I missed that. I got over to the basketball arena, 167 students showed up. And I challenged the 167 students, I said, before, before you enter the marketplace after you graduate, give five years of your life to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world. Then go in the marketplace. Give five years of your life before you go into the marketplace after you graduate from this institution and go to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world, and then go into the marketplace. I take off my mic, I'm standing over on the side, seven Canadian students are lined up to talk to me. The first student comes up to me, oh my gosh, you are so funny. That is so incredible. That was an amazing message. I can't go overseas, I'm getting a master's. The next one, that was unbelievable. You, you, that was the best chapel we've ever had. I can't go overseas, my parents would freak. The next one, that was incredible. I've never seen that before. That was unbelievable. I can't go overseas, I'm getting married this summer. The next one, that was so powerful. I can't go overseas though I have debt. The next one, thank you for coming. I can't go overseas. I just signed a two-year iPhone contract. One after another. Wednesday morning, I spoke to about 112 students. Thursday morning, I spoke to 97 students. I didn't fly back home to Arkansas where I live. Instead, I flew to Utah where I was scheduled to speak at a church that Sunday I fly into Salt Lake City Airport, I land, I get my national rental car, I type in my maps where I'm going and all of a sudden it says this, turn right on Temple Street. And I'm like, to where does Temple Street lead in Salt Lake City, Utah? And I realized First and Temple is the largest Mormon temple in the world. And I just thought, I wanna go. I wanna get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. How cool would that moment of magic be? And so I drive to First and Temple, park my car, get out, go to the Mormon temple and take a selfie. I look to the left. I look to the left, to the left of the Mormon temple and there's a three-story, all-glass building. And etched in glass, it says this, Mormon Welcome Center. I wanna go, I wanna be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. We don't even know what possibly things could happen. Maybe an angel gets their wings when that happens. We don't know. So I walk into the Mormon welcome center. I open the door and I say, good Mormon. (laughs) Top of the Mormon to you. And 12 of the nicest dressed, presumably best educated people, young adults started walking towards me. One of the girls, Rachel, kind of peeled off and she's like, How, Excuse me, sir, what brings you to the Mormon Welcome Center? I was like, Me? What are you doing here? She's like, Well, I'm a Mormon missionary. I was like, Tell me more. She's like, Well, every Mormon has to go two years after they graduate and pray about a lifetime. And I was like, How do you even figure out where to go? She's like, Well, after you graduate, the, the, the church writes you a letter and commissions you. I'm like, What does the letter say? She's like, Oh, I have it, it's in my purse. She hands me the letter. She says, this is the most important thing I own. I held the letter. I read the letter. I then drive 45 minutes south to Provo, Utah. I'm scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University is the largest Mormon university in the world. And they have a community of a few handful of Christ followers who are learning how to have a ministry there. So they invited me in to speak to these handful of Christ followers. And as I'm as I'm driving into Provo, I can literally see, I can, I can see, I can see, I can see BYU. And I'm like, but something catches my eye. I see a storefront and a sign on the store. The sign on the store said, the Missionary Mall. (laughs) I want to go. I want to go to the Missionary Mall. What sort of possible purchases could one have at a place called the Missionary Mall? I park in my car, I get out, I walk into the Missionary Mall. I realize the Missionary Mall is where Mormon parents take their kids before they go on their mission trip. Everything you need for your Mormon mission, you get at the Missionary Mall. Suit, tie, bike helmet, it comes from the Missionary Mall. And all I'm doing is looking at the faces of the fathers and the mothers. So much joy, so much excitement. I go back to my car, I open my journal, and I write. Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. What if through our obedience and involvement in the purpose of God in Genesis 12, we could literally reverse the verse? What if we could reverse the verse of Luke 10 too? What if instead of it saying the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, what if we could reverse the verse? What if over the next decade we could say, oh, the harvest, it's few. It's few. The workers, there's so many of them. They're plentiful. We don't even know where to send them. What if we could reverse the verse? The harvest is few. The workers are plentiful. God's purpose is eternal. Genesis to Revelation. God's purpose is unfulfilled. The unreached are great and they are growing. But the unreached and God's purpose involves you. It involves you and I. How does it involve you and I? You are either a goer or a sender. You're either a goer or a sender. Now, Because you're here right now on Sunday morning, I'm assuming the vast majority of us are senders. Let me give you the definition of the two. A goer is someone who crosses salt water, okay? They learn a language and they they plan a church. And it's a long commitment. A goer is a person who crosses the ocean, learns the language in the hopes of sharing the gospel. A sender is no less sacrificial as they stay behind and help the goer. You can't Google a definition for a sender. I had to create one. This is the best definition that I could figure out. Ran it by my wife. She corrected a few things. And this is the final definition I've landed on as a sender. Okay, so this should describe you. This should describe me. I'm not a goer, I'm a sender. This should describe you and this should describe me. Here it is, you ready? A sender is someone who's aware of what God's doing in the world. They're praying for and they're inviting others and they're helping them while they're there. Think about this, let me just break that down. A sender is someone who's aware of what God's doing in the world. They understand, they've got the head knowledge, they know, I know. If I were to ask you where's the reached and the unreached, you would know. If I were to say how many people don't have the Bible in their language, you would know, you're a sender. If I were to say how many Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus in the world, you would know, you're a sender. You're trying to send people there. If I said to you how much money's given to missions, you would know because you're a good sender. If I said to you how many languages are there that still don't have a Bible in their language, you would say, oh, 2,200, because you know. That's what a sender knows. A sender is aware. But not only that, Luke 10 too, a sender is praying for. But they're not only just praying for, they're inviting. Oh, Christy, guess what? Have you ever thought about being a long-term missionary to Indonesia? Let's take a vision trip. I'll go with you. Oh man, Hudson. Have you thought about taking your summer and going overseas and praying about a lifetime? They're inviting others, but then they're helping them while they're there. Hey, Carissa, how can I help you? Do you need counseling needs, homeschool needs? Do you need more funding? Do you need encouragement? I noticed from your newsletter, you said this. A sender is aware. A sender is praying. A sender is inviting. How are you doing at sending? We've gotta move beyond tithing and start sending. You're not just the ATM for missionaries. There's so much more than that. You send by sending people and you send by sending money. You send by sending people and money. I think of, again, I'm not a goer. I'm a sender. I think of Jack in Thailand. I think of Drew in the Middle East. I think of Rachel in Saudi. I think of Rachel in, in, in France. I think of Andrew in China. What do all those people have in common? They were either in mine or my wife's Bible study. How cool would it be by the time I'm 65 if I have a fingerprint in all 65 countries, the 1040 window, 65 by 65. I've either helped support, raised up a missionary, prayed for, really encouraged. That would be unbelievable. We send by sending people and we send by sending money. Listen to what Paul says about the strategy of the sender. okay. Paul, literally, as he wanted to go to Spain, he writes the letter to Romans, he writes Romans, and as he wants to go to Spain, he tells the Roman church, when the unreached in Spain hear the gospel, what got them there? What made them do this? And then he, he, he asks four rhetorical questions in Romans 10. He asks four rhetorical questions. The answer to all four rhetorical questions are the same. The answer is they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't. Listen to Romans 10. How can they call on whom they have not believed? You can't. You have to believe before you can call. And how can you believe unless you've heard? You can't. Before you can believe something, you have to hear it. And how can they hear without someone preaching? They can't. Before they can hear it, someone has to open their mouth and use words. Then he says, How can they preach unless they're sent? What does he say? The sender starts the story. The sender starts the story. When the unreached are reached, you started the story. What story do you wanna start? Or are you living for your small, self-absorbed, me-centered, another comma in your bank account life? We send by sending people. We send by sending money. I remember. I remember. I did a wedding for my friend Adam. Adam, I did a wedding for him. I did his premarriage counseling. I had. I had a lunch with him recently, and I'm privy to this because I did his premarriage counseling. I said, Adam, you know, you make hundred and ten thousand a year. You're 26. You make a ten thousand dollar bonus in December. I said. How much do you and your wife give to sending? He looked at me and he said, my wife and I, we give $25 a week. And I almost spit out my quinoa. I was like, what? He's like, we give $25 a week, $100 a month. We give $1,200 a year. I said, Adam, that's 0.9% of your income. And then I slapped him. He said, I know, we only give 0.9% because at the end of the month, when it's time to give, we don't have anything left. And I said, oh, that's interesting. That's where you put your donation, at the end. Today, the average person doesn't give 0.9%. The average Christ follower gives 2.3%. During the Great Depression, the church gave 3.3%. Today, the average Christ follower gives 2.3%. More money will never make a selfish person generous. More money will never make a selfish person generous. Generosity does not start when you have a comma in your bank account. It starts now. It starts now. The sender starts the story. A sender, aware of what God's doing in the world, how aware are you? They're praying for, how are you doing? They're inviting others, who have you invited? If I said to you, how many missionaries have you raised up? Are you gonna tell me three, five, seven, nine, twelve? Are you gonna be like, none, 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 none. How long have you been a Christ follower? A decade. And how many have you raised up? None, none. You keep repeating that, none. You've raised up no missionaries, no. Does that concern you at all? Not a bit. It doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't at all, no. You're saying it doesn't concern you, no. Not one bit, no. And actually, after this conversation, I'm gonna forget about you too. You're gonna forget about me, yes. Me, yes. You're gonna forget about this, yes. Why? Because I don't care. That's it. You're just embedded in Genesis 11 and you can't even see straight. We need senders, but we need goers. Short-term missionaries will never reach the world. Short-term missionaries will never reach the world. We need missionaries who will commit to 10 years who the first four years will learn the language, who the next three years will share the gospel, who the next three years after that will begin planning a church. It's at least a 10 year commitment. We need people who will commit 10 years to be goers. Every every blue dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Christians. Every blue dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Christians. Every green dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Muslims. Every green dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Muslims. Every orange dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Buddhists. Every orange dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Buddhists. And every yellow dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Hindus. We need senders and we need goers. God's purpose is eternal, Genesis 12 to Revelation 5. God's purpose is unfulfilled. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And God's purpose involves you as a goer or a sender. Here's my invite for you. My invite for you is maybe come back tonight from six to eight and hear two more sessions on how you can be a good sender. That's what we're gonna talk about. Come back tonight. Maybe another incredible application is to walk out that door and start a story. Go to Elevate Orphan and say, Man, I want to start someone's story. Who can I adopt? Maybe you need to go share Christ with a coworker. Maybe you need to stand in Starbucks and notice your Buddhist or Hindus or Muslim friends who are here studying at the wonderful university. What story do you want to start? I remember, I remember 14 years ago, my wife came up to me and she's like, I want to adopt. And I was like, okay, I love dogs. And she's like, no, 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 no. I wanna adopt from China. And I was like, hey, we can do a Shih Tzu. And she's like, no, 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 no. I wanna adopt a child from China. And I'm like, man, no, no. I'm for adoption, it's just not for me. So we have our first child. And I was like, solve that. You know, then we had our second child. Then we had our third child. And I'm like, okay, no more A word in this house. No more A word. And all of a sudden, she comes back. She takes me on a date night. She pulls up the computer. Who brings a computer on date night? She brought a computer. She had a PowerPoint presentation. She's like, see this NFL player, he was adopted. See this NFL player, he was adopted. See this NBA player, he was adopted it could really work out to our benefit, Todd. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're doing this? You're trying to go at this? You're going at this angle? Like do it for the money? She's like, we, you just need to think about it. And I was like, no, we're not adopting. We have another baby, number four. Then we have a number five. And I'm like, hey, we are so far from adoption now she takes me on another date night. She's crying. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And the Lord began to change my heart. And I looked at my wife and I said this. I said, Babe I said, you have labored and birthed five kids. She I said, I want this one to be my, my pregnancy. I'm gonna labor this one. And so, I found $34,000. I did all the 15 months of tax returns. I did all the FBI background checks and fingerprints. Now, when you're adopting, you gotta know this. Everybody thinks you're it. And I agreed with them. I'm like, I know I'm a big deal. They're like, you're adopting? You're incredible. And I was like, really? Tell me more. I told everybody we were adopting I'd get an oil loom filter, I'd be like, we're adopting. No way, you're gonna rescue a child from China? Yeah, you're incredible. I didn't hear that, what? You're unbelievable. Again, the motor was loud. You're incredible, thank you, sir. I mean, I'm at Marriott, the lady serving me coffee. Hey, we're adopting. You're rescuing a child, I know, I know. You're unbelievable, I know, tell me it again. You're so selfless, I know. I know, okay, okay. I'm a big deal, we're adopting. You're adopting, you're rescuing this child. I mean, I played it up, people. I played it up. We're rescuing a child from China. And then I get on the plane and I land in Beijing and I take a two-hour trip on a train to his orphanage and I get on my knee and he comes in the room and I hand him a sucker and he gives me a hug, and he sits on my lap. And in that moment, I realized, I adopted not because I'm a rescuer. I adopted because I was rescued. God saved me, he blessed me, and he's inviting me to extend that to others. And the question is, will I? And so Father, we pray, we pray this morning, that we could understand your global unfulfilled purpose. Lord, so much pulls for our time and talents and treasures, so much. And I just pray that we would extend those as generous senders, reaching both our near neighbors and the unreached. In your name. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net. give Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.